Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio.
This is Hercules Invictus. Um, We seem to be having technical difficulties, but uh, I'm connected, so I will continue. Um, I was speaking before the break about our Mythic Adventure program. Uh, I will now tell you how it breaks down a little bit. Uh, First, we have the Mythic RPG, and a RPG is a role-playing game. So a Mythic RPG is a role-playing game with a Mythic theme. Uh, I actually prefer the term interactive storytelling because that's what winds up uh, um, happening. Uh, Then we have Mythic LARPs, which are live action role-playing games. And that's uh, kind of like an improv uh, play unfolding with people dressed in costumes and holding uh, props. Uh, That's a lot of fun. Champions of Olympus is our superhero game. 
Um, become an agent of change, discover your heroic qualities, harness your passion, and actualize your purpose. Uh, we have the program for kids and also for adults who want to make a change in the world. And then there's mythic storytelling, mostly for the younger kids. Uh, they can learn about and test their knowledge of Greek mythology. We often integrate the use of puppets, costumes, props, or thematically related arts and crafts to enhance uh, this activity. Um, now, in terms of our history, I've been running interactive mythic adventures since my childhood in the 1960s and role-playing games since the dawn of the hobby in the mid-1970s. Since the mid-1980s, I've been running them for all age groups in a variety of private, commercial, institutional, and community settings. The latest incarnation of Mythic Adventure launched as a special event in the Holy Public Library's 2005 Summer Reading Program, themed Dragons, Dreams, and Daring Deeds. After the game, Athena and I gave away books and gaming supplies. Our challenge was to encourage kids to read more and to increase their regular visits to the local library. After a few more special events, Mythic Adventure became a monthly, then weekly activity at the library. We joined the After School Adventures with Dungeons and Dragons program and, after incorporating as a 501c, became an online charity on a popular book trading site. This allowed us to give away a lot more books after each session. The programs were in there continuously from 2005 to 2012, as well as in other locations, including the Newfoundland Public Library, Northampton Community College's Family Literacy Program, the Wayne County YMCA, and the Barbarians Bazaar's Athenaeum. Uh, we also got involved with other literacy initiatives in Northeastern Pennsylvania, most notably First Book Wayne Pike and Wayne Pike Adult Literacy. In 2010, we ran Fighting Words, a live-action role-playing game, and gladiatorial spelling bee at a fundraiser for those local literacy programs. So uh, we have a long history behind us. And now we will go to another song and we'll return for more. Inquisition has 
a test for each of us in time. And do you trust a creed that claims to set you free? By spending half a lifetime begging on your knees. Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and I am taking you on a guided tour for a Mythic Adventure program. What is a Mythic Adventure program? Uh, what is an RPG? Uh, an RPG is one type of interactive story uh, telling device. More versatile and socially engaging than video games, RPGs encourage reading, socialization, and teamwork as players cooperate in overcoming obstacles and solving puzzles. We've been told that over time, the kids in our Mythic RPG program form more friendships and display greater readership um, by organizing their own games and teaching their friends to play. Some kids are now playing RPGs with their parents and siblings. 
One young man reintroduced the game to his grandma. His dad used to play when he was younger, and they occasionally adventured together. Participants in our Mythic RPG earn points for creative writing and game-related artwork. They also earn points for writing reports on the books they have read that relate to their adventures. As an added bonus, kids playing the Mythic RPG also develop their math skills and become more interested in history and literature. Parents are happy that their kids are having fun while demonstrating a greater love of learning. From an activity designed for children's literacy in 2005, our current Mythic RPG has evolved over the years and incorporated all our earlier iterations into an immense uh, educational experience that can be enjoyed by any and all age groups. When we return from our break, uh, I will take you on another journey, one through the types of uh, role-playing game systems that there are. Yeah. 
Dream with me. 
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus. Um, and as we had to suspend our regularly scheduled show for tonight, I am taking everyone on a tour of our Mythic Adventure program. And uh, I have been explaining the parameters of the program and uh, what we do and what it's all about. Uh, now let me read you reviews from our archives on uh, some of the role-playing games that we've incorporated into the program. Uh, and I will start with Lords of Olympus. Lords of Olympus is a diceless role-playing game by RPG Pundit. And it allows players to assume the role of powerful demigods with divine abilities. They're able to travel to diverse mythic realms, strange new worlds, and even other dimensions. The playing field is mind-bogglingly vast, and the adventure possibility is almost endless. The Olympians are third-generation powers who emerge from chaos, preceded by the Titans and Primordials. And what we call Greek mythology is our distorted remembrance of their presence and deeds on our world. After a comprehensive overview, three chapters are devoted to constructing characters, learning the basics of play, and defining game terms. Numerous examples are provided, as well as many game-enhancing elaborations. You progress through mortal, hero, and Olympian stages, then ascend to a superior level, which culminates in first class. The rules, which are an enhanced clone of the original Diceless system developed by Eric Wujic in the 1980s, are fairly straightforward and refreshingly different from what I'm used to. I'm looking forward to trying them out in a home game with my family in the very near future. The chapter on game mastering is helpful and covers many contingencies, including handling the death of an immortal character and what to do if a player reaches first class. The role of fate and magical artifacts are introduced, and then the multiverse itself. There are enough realms inspired by Greek mythology in this book to keep you busy for a very long time. Plus, you can add any game you've ever played or plan on playing in any genre you can imagine to the list. Then there's a brief catalog with descriptions of mythic creatures and monsters, plus some really good tips on keeping your campaign truly Olympian in feel and flavor. My favorite chapter is titled The Divine Family, which is remarkably enough, impressively researched, and very well thought out. The family dynamic and culture of the Olympians is explained, and details for numerous members from each generation of the Pantheon are provided. Included are their name, titles, and epithets, description, history, abilities, and powers, personality, location, closest relations and allies, plus notes on having them as a parent. You may not agree with some of the categorizations, such as classing Eryx as a primordial or Aphrodite as a titan, but such details are easily adjusted. Most also come with ability classes and some with information on their children, minions, or attendant beings. The chapter and the book concludes with tips on using the gods, deity locations, and symbols beyond first-class abilities, a deity index, character sheet, and an ad for other cool games by Presses Intermedia. I've run countless adventures in Mythic Greece since the dawn of the hobby in the mid-1970s. Each of the systems I experimented with contributed a new perspective or approach to our ongoing Mythic adventure, and parts of them still survive in the tone of our game or in the fabric of our ever-evolving house rules. Since 2005, Mythic Adventure has been 
unfolding in various classrooms and cultural institutions in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And we started with the voyage of the Argo and are now adventuring in a time of Hercules' final labor. And uh, as an aside, we are starting with the Argo again in January of 2020. Lords of Olympus is a superior game product, and I'm looking forward to experimenting with it. For those who are happy with their rule set and reluctant to stray, there's an unparalleled reference work for anybody wishing to introduce Greek mythology to the campaign. I have the black and white edition, which is a beautiful 234-page oversized paperback. The colorful cover and internal art by Scott Hashbarger are evocative of the multidimensional but still very Greco-Roman setting and help maintain the mythic mood throughout the book. The editing and graphic design by Brett M. Bernstein further add to the artistry of Lords of Olympus. Thanks again, RPG Pundit. I enjoy Lords of Olympus so much that I'm contemplating sending my Olympian on a side trip to India just to experience your Arrows of Indra game. And I'll be busy exploring the Pressers Intermediate Catalog for at least uh, the next hour or so. Onward. Uh, and that, again, is Lords of Olympus, which I very highly recommend. And now we're off to another song, and then we'll be back with more reviews. Within the 
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus taking you on a tour of our vast mythic adventure program. And now we return to another review from our archives. The game system is called Mythic. Imagine that the Greek, Egyptian, and Celtic people evolved on another world, isolated from all other cultures except for each other. Now imagine that their collective mythologies were all real and quite tangible. Welcome to the world of Mythic, a fun mythology-based RPG from Chimera Press. Although an officially licensed product for Savage Worlds, Mythic can be easily adapted to any gaming system you happen to favor, are experimenting with, or routinely use. It begins with an evocative image of a Greek warrior, an Egyptian archer, and a Celtic mage, fighting a really huge and uninjured minotaur in the ruins of the vast Grecian temple. The Minotaur looks really pissed, and a second Minotaur will soon be joining him. Two pages later, a colorful map of the known world that quickly dispels the notion that you're adventuring on Earth. Designed to run optimally with a limited number of players, Mythic seeks to duplicate the flavor of the ancient epics and succeeds quite admirably. There are 22 heroic archetypes to choose from, all of them human, and there are three other distinct cultures to provide flavor. The character creation process takes you by the hand and walks you through it step by step. By the time you're done, you're armed and ready to tackle the world of Mythic. Mythic Greece's culture thrives in Elosia, as does the Olympian Pantheon. The chapter devoted to their culture is more than sufficient to get you started, and there is a one-sheet Elosian adventure on the Chimera Press website, uh, more on this below. The Nisseri are the mythic equivalent of the ancient Egyptians, and their culture is guided and protected by the Pesajet, the ancient Kemetic gods of the Nile lands. Predithians are the barbarians of the known world. They're brawny, fierce, and under the other world's tutelage of the Tuatha de Danann, the Fae of the Celts. The book provides examples of actual names, alphabets, and other cultural tidbits that greatly enhance the game's world's reality. Although some of the creatures are unique to the known world, like the Thosian lion, the bestiary offers a comprehensive and thorough collection of mythic and mundane beasts from all three cultures. Some have been altered, perhaps, but they all work well within the context of the mythic game setting. The bestiary is followed by nearly four pages of generic NPC types you're likely to come across while adventuring, everything from assassins to worshippers. They are fleshed out enough to quickly insert in your adventure, lacking only names, nationalities, and unique quirks, mannerisms, or affectations. Mythic concludes with a blank character sheet, which you can also download from the Mythic page on the Chimera Press website. While you're there, you can also download the Divine Family Tree of each culture uh, and a one-sheet adventure called Wedding Crashers, which I mentioned above. It is set in Elosia and involves the centaurs and upset. I enjoy this scenario so much that I will be reviewing it. Another adventure, Shadows of Apep, has been recently released. Though I'm not likely to run any scenarios in the known world in the near future, the material in Mythic is so rich and applicable to my own campaign world that I'll be adapting it extensively. Thank you, Michael Edwards, for greatly expanding my gaming horizons as well as those of my players. Onwards. And then... We're off to another song. 
Dave the Bard's Merlin Am I, and then it'll be time for our next segment.
And welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, your host, and our next guest proclaims, we deserve a world that is clean, sustainable, and fair, where wages can support families, where no one is dying or going bankrupt because of medical bills, where our environment is no longer making us sick. Uh, the individual certainly deserves to be on the Age of Heroes. I'm speaking of Zena Spizakis who is running for Congress here in New Jersey and who represents a movement called the Brand New Congress 2020. Greetings and welcome, Zina. Hi, Hercules. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming on. I'm very much impressed with what you're doing and the vigor uh, with which you're doing it. You're out there canvassing and uh, uh, you're spreading the word around. I, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. And I'd like to learn more about you and uh, the movement that you're a part of. So, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, well, we are canvassing. Uh, we're running. So the campaign itself uh, is challenging a uh, 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 an incumbent who's been in office for over 20 years. And the reason that I'm running is because of the climate crisis. Uh, this next election is going to be critical with respect to the decisions that need to be made on the federal level if we to, if we are to avoid some of the most catastrophic effects 
um, of climate change. Um, and when I looked at his record um, and saw that it was lacking, uh, basically no leadership on the topic, I decided to run. I have two young children, uh, and I'm very mm-hmm. scared about their future. Uh, I also work in clean energy and on energy policy, so I have a background in this. And I know we can, I know we can address it, and in the meantime, really build uh, a, a, an economy that is decarbonized and sustainable where where every american can participate in an economy that is fair and just uh to every american regardless of where they came from who they are you know what religion they are you know who they love um it, we it, it's it's a progr- uh, the movement that i'm with so brand new congress is actually the organization that God Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez started uh, a, few, a couple of years back um, uh, that really helped her uh, run for Congress and win. Uh, and this uh, same organization has endorsed um, a, a couple, uh, almost two, I think about two dozen candidates around the country at the federal level for both sta- uh, um, U.S. Uh, House and Senate. Uh-huh. Uh, and these candidates are uh, progressive. And what progressive means basically is that we do not take any corporate or special interest funding to fund our campaigns. We are solely funded on small dollar donations because we represent, we feel ethically, we represent people, whoever voted us into office, not the corporations uh, who may fund uh, our opponents' campaigns. Uh, And we feel that if we get money out of politics, that we're able to get a lot more done uh, for and on behalf of the American public. So um, that's a little bit of a flavor. That that is incredibly awesome and very much uh, needed. Um, I find uh, what is going on uh, very uh, bewildering and shocking <laughs> at times. And uh, the the world theater uh, um, has often been such, but uh, recently it feels like we're in another reality altogether. And I can't believe what I'm hearing. It's uh, it's remarkable, you know. Even you know, politics aside, even even with respect to uh, just just transitioning our economy to uh, a renewable energy economy, you do do uh, uh, most people don't realize that uh, the fossil fuel industries like oil giants, coal, uh, natural gas. They still get anywhere between 15, 15 and twenty billion dollars in taxpayer money in the form of subsidies wow. to the industry, and that industry is several is a couple hundred years old at this point. Uh, it's a mature industry. It certainly doesn't need our our taxpayer money to be funding its pollution of the of our land, of our air, of our of our water, um, simply because they're uh, able to donate. Uh, to politicians in large enough amounts where they either block action to minim- uh, to transition us to a clean economy or completely ignore uh, uh, the issue, uh, as in the case of my own incumbent who has actually taken fossil fuel money and hasn't done anything. Um, so it's the it, it all you know I I have a Wall Street background. I spent a couple of decades on Wall Street prior to going into clean energy, but I can tell you if you follow the money, most things become quite clear. <laughs> To the, as to the motivation, I can imagine. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So. Uh, I used to work in uh, the uh, mental health field, and I used okay. to run student intern volunteer programs. 
and uh, the interns, I'd assign them to psychiatric inpatient units or outpatient units, uh, and they always questioned, you know, why uh, people were discharged when they were discharged and, and so forth. And I would, uh, after a few weeks of uh, them, they're experiencing this, I would show them on a board how insurance paid for hospital stays. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. all those things that didn't make sense <laughs> made perfect sense, not from a, a therapeutic uh, viewpoint, but from a business viewpoint, you know, so... Uh, you're right. It, you have to follow the money to see uh, where and why things are the way they are. Um, but even our own military, I understand a report's been issued that uh, in 20 years, uh, the earth may no longer be able to sustain any of us. That's a scary, uh, uh, I'm in my early 60s, so 20 years is not that that far in the future. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually the Department of Defense has been uh, – I, I, don't, I don't want to say screaming about it, but the Department of Defense has been very vocal about about uh, what it's seeing. They fully understand that this climate crisis is upon us, um, and, I mean, they're – you know, they and, and their job is to defend the U.S. Let me give you an example. The U.N. Sure. Uh, uh, came out with uh, – uh, they published a report last, um, last week, I think it was, where it basically said, listen, we haven't done anything to curb our emissions, and we're headed for a five- to six-degree warming planet by the end of the century, which five or six degrees might not sound like much to you, but I can tell you on a, a planet, on a global basis, it is apocalyptic. What will yes. happen under that scenario is that the entire middle – the entire equatorial region, and I'm talking between, you know, the tropics, of, the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn, that's so, that big equatorial region is basically going to turn into a desert. This is already happening uh, to, uh, to Africa, where you see the Sahara uh, every year uh, uh, pushing further and further south into the jungles of Africa. Well, that's happening all over the world. What happens under those scenarios is that people will not be able to uh, feed their families quite uh, quite honestly you know if you can you cannot grow crops past a certain degree right. a certain past a certain amount of warmth and livestock both uh, uh, domesticated and wild just drop dead uh, drinkable water dries up so what happens then people migrate there's a and I'm talking these are hundreds of millions of people so the crisis we're seeing right now at the border with just are with not a lot of people where we can't even handle, you know, migrants seeking asylum. Now, imagine if you've got a hundred million people at our Southern border trying to get in, because that is what's going to happen. If the middle, if the equatorial, if the sort of the equatorial region of our planet does, uh, turns into a desert, they're not going to head South. They're not going to head down into Argentina and to Chile. They're going to head North into, into, into the United, into Mexico, into the United States and into Canada. Um, so the Department of Defense really kind of sees climate migration. These are climate migra migrants yeah. as a big sort of national security threat. That and the fact that, you know, the, the, the Middle East right now, I mean, there, last year was like an incredible year. I mean, there were, there were, there were parts of the Middle East that were in the 160s. Uh, and that going forward is going to become business as usual. You can't survive. It, it's slowly becoming uninhabitable. Last May in northern India, there was such a heat wave where the temperatures hit 124 degrees. Crops failed. Uh, livestock died. People migrated. Um, I mean, it was a disaster. And that's just a flavor. 
and we don't hear about it on mainstream media because it's not whatever. No. It's not pleasant to hear about it, you know, unless you, unless you really study the stuff like I do, you don't realize that this is happening. Um, and so that's where the Department, the Department of Defense obviously studies this and understands that this is happening. Um, I mean, we're even starting to see it, uh, uh, even with the recent hurricane that hit uh, the Bahamas, we had climate migrants board ships and try to land uh, in Florida only to be turned away by the United States. That's going to happen in increasing numbers. And at some point, we're not going to be able to turn – one ship we could probably turn away. But if we cannot turn away hundreds of ships because we'll right. be overwhelmed. Uh, at that point, so that's that's part, of, but that's part of what they're saying. There's a lot more, of course. What can yeah. we do as as individuals? I know Christine Evron. Uh, she's the uh, president of our Chamber of Commerce, and uh, um, she's very involved with the Rotary and the Northern Greenway Project. And when she comes on the show, um, one of the things she gives people are like tips that they can do uh, to minimize uh, um, what's going on. Um, you know, through uh, how they tend their garbage, how they eat, and and so forth. Um, but it and these are changes we can all make and increasingly make them. But it doesn't seem like enough to stem the tide of uh, uh, what's happening. What can we do? I mean, it's great having you there fighting for this. Um, yeah. But, but what can we all do to to help? Well, you're you're right about that. About the fact that we are past the point where our individual consumption choices consumption choices make a huge impact. We are past that point. We we were at that point probably like uh, decades ago when we. I mean, we've known about this problem well over well over five decades at this point. Um, if on an individual on an there's a, the most important thing this is why i'm running for office because i thought oh i can just you know i'm an, an environmental activist i work in clean energy i'm making you know whatever i drive an electric car this is enough but when i read these reports i've come to the point where the only thing that's going to matter right now is to become a climate voter you need to find can, the candidate who will defend who will actively defend and i'm not saying just paying lip service because my right. you know uh, bill pascrell came out in support of the green new deal one week after I hit the headlines as an environmental activist coming after his job. But since then, he has taken money from the Petroleum Manufacturers Association. He's taken money from natural gas. I mean, he hasn't done anything. Uh, you can't, you, when you vote, you really have to study uh, a, a candidate, uh, a candidate's, I, not only policies, but where are they coming from? Ethically, are they taking money? from you know farmers big pharma are they taking money from fossil fuels are they taking money from you know the big bad you know military industrial complexes are they taking money from corporations whose interests are not aligned with yours right and if you find the progressive candidate whether they have a background an expertise in climate uh, in, in uh, climate mitigation or energy policy or they have a, a, a background in medicare for all you should vote for that client because the client, uh, the, uh, the candidate, because the candidate who does not take money will work on behalf of what's good for their constituents, and they will be feel and they will have the freedom to vote against these polluting corporations. Because let's face it, there are a handful of companies that are responsible for the majority of the pollution. Exxon Mobil. The next time you fill up at an Exxon station, remember this: back in the 1970s, Exxon did some of the first climate research ever done in, with their scientists and along with the Department of Energy scientists in the U.S. government. In the 70s, they knew 
with great accuracy where our temperatures were going to go. And the reason we know this now is because they're getting sued. And a lot of these documents have been found through the discovery process of these lawsuits. There's this one chart that I love. It's, you know, it, it basically marks, it's an upward graph. And it marks exactly where uh, uh, CO2 levels are going to be, and it marks exactly what the rising temperatures are. They knew with unbelievable accuracy 40 years ago that this was happening. Next time, and they use that, and you'd think, okay, well, our petroleum products are going to cause devastation. You'd think they'd do something about it. They use that information quite effectively, and they funded disinformation campaigns. They funded enough doubt. They sowed enough doubt in the American psyche that politicians had cover not to act on it. And back in the 1970s, Hercules, we could have actually done something about it. We could have stopped it. We could have reversed it. Right now, this next election is a choice between whether you want to see the worst effects with effects of a, of a warming world within the next couple of decades or, you, or, or slowing, it, slowing it down enough so that our children and our grandchildren can start solving it, start drawing it down, start reversing it. Because right now, even if even if tomorrow we stopped all emissions and all of a sudden went into zero, there is so much carbon in our atmosphere. There's so many greenhouse gases in our atmosphere that our planet will continue to warm for hundreds of years. Wow. This, it, and it's, de- it's devastating. The, 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 our choice in the next election is slowing it down. Or having it just, you know, just cause, a, 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 you know, catastrophic change uh, to, to our world. Um, and, and, you know, people get scared about this. But I, I ask the question, is this the type, is that the world you want to leave to our children? I don't think anybody right. wants to leave that to our children. So no. you find the candidate that it will defend the planet, will defend people. The defenders of the planet and the people are the are are are, the, are part of why part of the reason brand new Congress you know has uh, has it has endorsed such a diverse set of candidates from around the country. None of us take any corporate money. We all have like a variety of backgrounds. There are you know, there are there are uh, climate scientists, clean energy people such as myself. There are social workers in the movement. There are you know there's this people with uh, with a social with a social justice background. This whole if we can elect these sorts of people into federal government, all of a sudden we take back our democracy. We don't want to, I don't want to give I asked the question of the voters, do you want to relinquish control of your lives to somebody who does not have your best interest at heart? That's what it comes right. down to. Uh, and, and not only just on climate, you, you talked about health insurance, uh, um, health care, I mean, on a whole host of issues. Now, where can people go to find out, um, how, like, Ballotpedia, would that be the best place uh, for somebody to go to uh, research how their representatives are currently voting on things? Or is there a um, better well, there's, there's There's a few resources, and I'm going to rattle off a couple of websites here. So if you okay. want to find out about um, uh, where they're getting their money from, which is really very interesting, quite honestly, there are websites, uh, the FEC.gov. You can research a candidate. That's the Federal Election Commission's.gov. Oh, that's the official website where you can go in and look up any candidate that's in federal office and see where they're getting money from and who they're paying money out to. Okay, there's a lot of little secrets in there. Uh, there's okay. uh, another website which draws from that information called OpenSecrets.org. 
really great uh, website because that will to- that will actually it's a little better u- user interface. You can see things more uh, more easily there, unlike funding sources. If you want to know how they're voting, you go to votesmart um, dot org or dot com. I'm not sure. You could also go onto the House uh, onto the ho- Senate or House dot gov uh, and 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 research your um, uh, your um, representative or your senator. Um, but uh, Balladopedia is sort of like the Wikipedia for candidates. It's more of a okay, this you know this is the background of the candidate rather than their voting record. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, they're they're uh, just trying to think. I think those are like the big ones that I research. You know. Um, uh, when I'm when I'm yeah, when we're doing some work on uh, on our incumbents, so um. I will definitely share those uh, periodically. Uh, I always ask myself, what can I do with who I am and what I have at any particular point in time? <laughs> what can I yeah. do at a particular point in time? I, and uh, I have a podcast. I have a you know a Facebook and other yeah. social media accounts, so I can use these to uh, do what I can do. Um, you know, until other possibilities open up. So I will definitely um, post this information. Uh, one of my missions is to get people to make informed choices when they're voting. So mm-hmm. uh, I, yep. I work the polls, as you know, I'm right there in the polling place, you know, and, and trying to make that yep. uh, as pleasant and encouraging for people uh, who uh, come in. Um, and uh, whatever candidates uh, come on the show, I invite them regardless of what their uh, um, the political party is, you know, to, to basically communicate, to uh, understand where they're coming from and so forth. Um, so I can definitely uh, put up every now and then links uh, to these places and encourage people to um, check them out. And we are developing uh, a, a few new podcasts just focusing on the environment because uh, when all is said and done, the, the very existence of all of us uh, trumps anything, forgive the pun, mm-hmm. uh, that might be concerning us uh, at this yeah. uh, particular point in time. So uh, whatever life I have left, that's one of my uh, t- top priorities. So um, anything that you Thank can you. suggest at any time, you're welcome to come here whenever you'd like, you know, to, um, and also any resources that, uh, or information that you'd like to share, I will do my best to share it. Oh, thanks, Hercules. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, changing your diet's not really going to do it. It's really, it's really voting at this point um, and putting pressure on our, on our, on our elected officials uh, to get stuff done. Um, it's, it's, it's going to take massive sweeps at this point. Uh, mass, you know, sort of very, very sort of high level changes to our economy uh, and to our financial system. Uh, to get this done, but I, we we can do it. We have the vast majority of the technology we have is already out there. We just need to structure the proper incentives to get it get it up and running faster. Um, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. There's still there's still a chance. <laughs> of course, if you have I, a choice between buying a gas car and a, an electric car, I will buy the electric, electric cars. Car. I've had I've had one for two years. Uh, the cost of fueling it is about one fifth of the price of what I would pay at the pump. It's got about, wow. um, it's got very few moving parts. The thing just never breaks down. I never changed the brake pads on it because it's got regenerative braking. I mean, it is just the cheapest thing to have out there. So if you're in the market for a new car, uh, transportation accounts for about 25% of us emissions. Let's start electrifying uh, our transportation. Um, and plus they drive a lot better than any gas car I've ever driven. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, anyway, 
I will spread that. And also, um, I know a lot of people um, send me uh, emails of, uh, you know, like petitions to sign and, and so forth. Is there an effect? Are there effective ones for the environment or the groups that keep on top of that? Because I've had I've had very good experiences uh, contacting my representatives when I felt strong enough about something. Uh, there's always somebody that the representative themselves or, or, or one of their mm-hmm. associates. Uh, um, who will talk to you and sometimes you get a letter back that, you know, they, they heard you and what you were saying and that they're doing something about it. Uh, is there a system yeah. in place where somebody can keep informed and on top of that? Um, with respect to uh, just sort of their elected representatives or? With the, in terms of the environment. Uh, oh, like, okay. Like well, said, I can tell you. Yes. Yeah. There are some organizations um, uh, within uh, within actually New Jersey uh, that have been highly successful uh, with respect to even just stopping some fossil fuel, uh, some really polluting projects from getting off the ground. One is like Food and Water Watch. Um, you know, uh, that's an organization to watch. Um, they do, if you get on their mailing list, they kind of keep you abreast of what's going on, at least within the state of New Jersey. Um, another organization that's been uh, pretty effective uh, at getting, uh, you know, making their voices heard with respect to the environment is Sunrise Movement. Um, Sunrise Movement is about a year old, about a year, year and a half old. It was started by, I think, some college students and basically youngsters who, you know, <laughs> see that want to have a future. Um, they want to have they a are future. Big environmental movement. They want to have a future. They are big supporters of the Green New Deal. Um, you know, they're, I've, I've tried calling. Part of the reason I'm running, quite honestly, Hercules, is because I've tried calling uh, my representative, and it's been dead silent. Yeah, I might get somebody on the phone, and they'll be very nice and all that stuff, but they'll pay lip service to me just to shut me up and say, yeah, 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 go away. Thank you. We've heard you, and we'll send a letter back, but they actually do nothing about it. Um, I, I would recommend that, okay. any, anybody who listens, anybody who's listening to this podcast, really examine your representative's uh, whether here or outside of New Jersey, really examine their record on the climate. And it's not just a matter of supporting something. Really just look at where they're getting money from because they might come out and say and pay lip service to something, but in reality, they're still getting paid uh, or they're still getting donations from fossil fuels or from pharmaceuticals or whatever your topic may be. Uh, if you look at where they're getting the money, it's, that's really going to tell you where, how they're going to behave and what their motivations are. Bill Pascrell came out in support of the Green New Deal. Environmental activists then asked them within New Jersey, will you support a moratorium on new fossil fuel projects, which is something the Green New Deal would advocate for, and he's been silent. Ooh. Silent on it. We have asked, I have, I have, been, in, I have been to rallies with the, nurses, with the nurses' unions and others for Medicare for All because parts of our district have the highest uninsured rates in all of New Jersey, and we've sent letters. We've gone to his office, and it's been silent. Crickets from Bill Pascrell. I mean, it is, it is even when you call his office, you'll, you might get somebody who would be nice to you, but they, have, they do nothing. They do nothing. They allow, you know, the Medicare for All issue with respect to New Jersey's ninth is a big deal. We live in one of the most polluted areas of the state. We have the, some of the highest uninsured rates, and people are just frankly dying. My own father died yeah. because he didn't have insurance, and Bill Pascrell won't reply to a letter I sent him on Medicare for All. 
the only thing that we've been able to get out of him, last January, he came out with a statement, and you can Google this and find it. He basically made a statement saying, you know, this Medicare for All thing, yeah, we're not super people. We can't do everything. And I'm like, with all due respect, Representative Pascrelli, you're paid. You're sent to Washington, D.C., so you can be a super person so that you can keep people from your in your district from dying because of lack of insurance. I was out canvassing Hercules. This was a heartbreaking story. I was out canvassing, and I came across a young woman who told me the worst story about her, uh, the worst story about her mother. Her mother, truck driver, somebody who needs, obviously, eyesight to do their job. Her insurance denied her, um, denied paying for a procedure that would have saved one of her eyes. She now has lost basically the functionality that she needs in order to drive a truck because you you need both eyes for spatial relations. I mean, when you you know when you're driving when when you're driving a truck or anything else, frankly, um, she can no longer drive, and so she's gone on disability. How has that helped her? How has that helped our society? You know, I mean, how can you allow these things to happen? It is infuriating to me. You know, I can, I, I have insurance. I can afford my insurance. But quite frankly, my insurance just sent me a letter saying, hey, your premium is going up 9% next year. And, oh, by the way, we're cutting your benefits. The insurance companies have some of the most perverse economic incentives out there. How can a company exist whose sole purpose is to increase profit, in other words, increase your premiums, and decrease its cost. In other words, decrease the services it prov- uh, the services it's willing to pay on your behalf. How can that be allowed to exist? In no other country in the world does that perverse system exist. Why is it happening here? Because Bill Pascrell has taken over $1.1 million from Big Pharma and healthcare insurance. And so he will do nothing. He won't work against it necessarily, but he's quite happy not to do anything. And until he's gotten challenged, and he's never really been challenged until this uh, the primary season, now I'm challenging him. You know, now he's out. He's coming out for the Green New Deal. He hasn't said anything about Medicare for all, but that's because I figured one million dollars from Big Pharma. I mean, that's a big paycheck, right? Um, that is a big paycheck. It's, yes. It's uh, it was it was it was it's heartbreaking when I go into when I canvass and I go talk to uh, some of our you know some uh, fellow voters in, in District Nine. It's it's just heartbreaking. Um, it can't be allowed to. It cannot be allowed. No, I I agree. And and I feel very strongly about that. And we just started a podcast. In fact, in fact, right after uh, um, our conversation, uh, we were going to talk about health care and uh, um, in Sussex uh, County. Uh, one of our hosts lives there, uh, but her power has been off for the past few days. So we have some extra time, but the, the segment was going to be about health care uh, and what can we do. She's very much on top of it. She's been involved politically uh, there for for decades. And, uh, um, you know, she was going to discuss the things that people can start uh, doing because that's important. Um, so uh, we have extra time if you'd like to get into health care. If not, we could schedule another day uh, to address that topic. Well, you know, the one thing I'll say about health care is, you know, I, I again, I go out canvassing and people, have, you know, ask me, how can you support Medicare for all? And I do support Medicare for all. Um, mm-hmm. How are you going to pay for it? Really, the question is, how are you going to pay for an industry that is growing? Aside from the moral and ethical issues, which we just discussed and the perverse economic issues, yeah. uh, incentives. Aside from that, how are you going to pay for an industry that is three and a half trillion dollars in size, that is growing at about five or six percent a year, wow. and is taking up 
and takes up eight, 18%, nearly one in $5 of our gross domestic product goes towards health services. That is probably, it is twice our next uh, comparable country of the industrialized countries. We pay, and, and the thing that, uh, you want to hear the clincher on this, Hercules? One third of that three and a half trillion dollars just goes towards administrative cost. What does that mean? That means I, as a doctor, every doctor on average in this country, doctors on average pay about $99,000 every year just to have somebody on staff who can administer, you know, dozens of health insurance plans because they've all got their little, you know, there's no standardization. Everyone's got their own, you know. You've got a right. dozen, I've got two dozen plans to deal with. You need somebody to be on top of it. You know, you can't, as a doctor, be doing paperwork all day long. But um, so doctors actually would save money on a system like this, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, but you have, you know, one third of that, or nearly about a trillion dollars of that three and a half trillion dollars right now uh, in 2019 goes towards administrative costs. Now, to a certain extent, you need some administrative costs, but you don't need a trillion dollars of it. You can have that quite easily, right? If you if you brought, if you got rid of like you know the 500 plans that you have to administer uh, in an, on any given day, um, that is the real question we should be asking. You know the pharmaceuticals or the or these all these dark money groups that are putting out all these advertisements to kind of you know turn public uh, opinion against Medicare for all. That's the question we should be asking. Why should oh and oh by the way some of these pharmaceutical companies. You know, they'll, 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 their big argument is, oh, we need to keep raising prices. How are we going to do our research? Well, did you know that the National Institutes of Health, that's your taxpayer money, the National Institutes of Health pay enormous amounts of money to some of these uh, pharmaceutical companies in order to subsidize the research and development of some of these new drugs, which the pharmaceutical company turns around and price gouges on the other end. So you as a taxpayer, pay part of the development cost of a new drug. And then when you need the drug, you can't afford it. Okay. That's what you're looking at. That's that, that is, that is enormously harmful. Not only is it harmful. Look, I can, you know, I, 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 I get, luckily I'm healthy. I don't need any drugs, but I can't, you know, I have a friend of mine who's actually also running for Congress. as part of the brand new Congress slate. Uh, Her mother, died because she got prescribed a pill. She had cancer and she got prescribed a pill, which she had to take every month, which cost would have cost her $2,500, which is something her insurance was not willing to cover. One pill to help with her cancer fight, $2,500 a month, you know, wow. whatever that turns out, that's like uh, $30,000 a year, whatever that is. If I'm doing my math right, they didn't pay for it. Her mom passed away. Okay. Wow. My own father, no insurance. Okay, Um, Greek immigrant, small business owner, you know, health insurance was like the last thing he thought about. Right. He wanted to put food on the table or send send me to college before he would pay for anything for himself. He didn't have insurance. So he ignored a muscle strain in his left shoulder, which legitimately he had strained a muscle in his left shoulder. But he had pain for over a month. And what that, what that muscle strain actually covered up, if he had actually gone to a doctor and gotten examined, would have been what the, doc, what the autopsy later called, uh, what the doctors later called silent heart attacks for an entire month. My father was having these silent, mm-hmm. silent small heart attacks, which by the, by, the time, uh, you know, by the time he had his massive heart attack, which killed him, uh, he, his heart muscle had weakened to such an extent 
by all these other heart attacks, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to save them anyway. That's I'm what sorry happens when you don't have that's what it's, it's okay. I mean, this happened 25 years ago, but that's what happens when you have a system that is that, you, that when you have a for-profit healthcare system who's only only and I they do not care about our health. They do not. They do not care about you and I. We are we are uh, we are basically we are commodities to them. We are just uh, annuities to them. They right. want to deny you coverage. That's how they make money. They deny you. They make money by denying you coverage. Why should I pay thousands of dollars for insulin here when I can cross the border into Canada and buy it for like twenty bucks? How does that work? How does, how does that, that work? work? I don't know how that works. I mean, it just that is, but that is the that is the that is the power of the pharmaceutical, of the health insurance, of all these corporate lobbies in Washington D.C. Now, New Jersey, home of a lot of pharmaceuticals, you know, it's no surprise that Bill Pascrell has taken over $1.1 million from this industry. It's no surprise. He lives in New Jersey, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you lived in Texas, right, you might be getting equal amounts of money from fossil fuels to stop climate uh, climate change legislation from happening. So, uh, and, you you know, you you pick the area of complaint, you have about our federal government, and I could probably point you quite easily to a trail of money that goes into funding these politicians. That's it. If we were able to stop all corporate money from entering into politics, we would be able to solve so many of some of these critical social issues problems. that we have. Uh, social problems, environmental problems, I mean, infrastructure problems. Why haven't we, we need to, our infrastructure is a whole nother podcast we, you could do. Um, but it, it all comes down to money in politics. So, you know, that, so that's why, you know, as, and progressives here in New Jersey are actually, we're actually, we're a growing sort of this, I call it the silent army. We are on the ground. We are, we are not happy with the state of it. And all of a sudden, we are now getting organized because of the tools that we have on the internet, whether it's social media or websites or whatever else. Politics is at a turning point. Uh, and I'm hopeful uh, that we can, we can, we can get this done before uh, we can get, solve a lot of these problems before uh, they be, before it becomes too late. So, uh, um, I, I just gave, I gave you a near full on Medicaid. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's necessary. <laughs> this is uh uh, this is a, a crisis. Uh, it's a mythic crisis. It's like the, the, the fight with the Titans. It, our, the fate of our world is at stake, and it's within our lifetimes. Uh, and whatever difference we can make, now is the time to make that difference. So, uh, no, you did not chew air. You gave me lots to, to think about, and I'm sure to our listeners as well. Um, I hold a minor political post. I'm on the Democratic County Committee here in uh, Tenafly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I'm planning on also, uh, again, whatever life I have left, I want, uh, um, you know, my family, my friends, uh, my community, uh, you know, to continue surviving uh, past the next uh, uh, two decades. So I was thinking of getting more involved uh, politically as well. Um, how would somebody get involved with uh, the, um, the, the different progressive programs like the Brand New Congress? Well, there's uh, there's a bunch within New Jersey. I can tell you, uh, with brand new Congress, um, obviously donating to them uh, would be yeah. the, uh, because they because then they help 
these candidates who don't take millions of dollars from corporations run these like, you know, for the people campaigns. That's one thing. But within um, within New Jersey itself, you know, I can name uh, six of the 12 um, congressional districts have progressive primary challengers in them. Half of the congressional districts in New Jersey have people like me running progressive campaigns against incumbents who have taken far too much money from corporations and aren't doing enough for their constituents. Um, wherever you are, seek these people out, go canvas with them, vote for them, make sure everyone's registered to vote for them. You know, if you want to fundraise for them, that is a personal choice. Uh, but that, that is, you know, support them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to see, uh, the movement within the the movement that's happening in the Progressive Party, um, uh, or amongst I mean we're all Democrats amongst progressives, but you sitting on the county committee is actually a pretty important is a very important uh, seat because you have an audience that you could, you know I mean I'm not asking you to te- tell everybody to turn progressive, just simply look at the money trail, and make yes. up your own mind. I mean that's all it is. Do you want to continue? Do you want to continue paying off? Do you want to continue? Do you want to continue having corporations pay off politicians so they do nothing simply so that you know they can maintain their power? Bill Pascrell, with all due respect for Bill Pascrell, I voted for him thinking he was going. He was looking out for my best interest. Voting Democrat is voting Democrat, no matter who, isn't necessarily the way to go because I, you know, I call. I call a lot of these Democrats who have sat on their butts for decades and haven't done anything climate delayers. And I get sometimes I get chastised by, you know, people who don't hear me out. But, you know, at least with a climate denying a climate denier, whether they're Republican or whatever they are, you know what you're getting. If somebody's denying the climate, you know, they're not going to ask. So, OK, fine. I'm not going to vote for you. But if I'm voting for a Democrat who claims he's a progressive. I. I need to feel secure that my six year old son is going right. to is going to have a livable world when he's 56. Forget when he's 86, 56, just in 50 years when he's middle-aged, you know? Um that I I I cannot sit by as a mother and let that happen, right? It's 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 right. for any of our children. Any of these they, this is the biggest intergenerational human rights violation in 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 the history of, of man. How can we let this generation? You know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in the unfortunate generation to remember what it was like before the climate crisis. I'm the first generation to feel its effects, and I'm in yes. the last generation that could actually do something about it because this 20, the 2020 election is super critical. If we do not make changes in the next four or five years, we're, I mean, we're done. We're done. We're already starting to see the glaciers that were not expected to melt for another 50 or 70 years right. melted last summer. They're not coming back. They're not coming back in my lifetime, in my children's lifetime. They're not going to come back in my grandchildren's lifetime. Do you understand? I mean, that is that, these are the types of monumental changes that are happening. And we have evolved the life on this planet. There's always been swings in temperatures, but these swings in temperatures that are caused by natural causes have been so slow and so gradual that life, plants, and animals could adapt to them, could adapt to them through, you know, through evolution. But what we're seeing are these dramatic swings within a generation that we are unable to adapt to. 
there right. was a colony of there was a colony of penguins in the South Pole. A forty, I think, it was forty thousand strong colony of penguins that had a handful of chicks this year. Do you understand? There's like there's a mass extinction going on, and if you and if yeah. you think that's not going to happen to us, you, you know, I mean, that's this is what that's why I'm so that's why I get so angry. At, you know, people say, well, why don't you why don't you start with a school board? Why don't you start with something small? I said, with all due respect to anybody who thinks I cannot take this to the federal level, we do not have the time for right. some, for business as usual. We do not. We do not. My children, your children, everyone's children deserves a better future than the ones we are living in. Would they deserve better leaders than the ones who have allowed this to happen, knowing full well for decades that this was coming? I've had enough. And if 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 you've had enough, then listen to me. If you think business as usual is fine, then don't listen to me. You know, I'm not going to change anybody's mind. What I will tell right. you is the truth. What I will tell you are the facts. And what I will tell you is what I think is wrong, and I think it's wrong what we're doing to our children. Because that's what it comes down to for me. Uh, and I think for most mothers, you know, um, or, or for any parent, I would say. Um, no, definitely. So. And uh it's it's very um uh admirable that you are personally taking the fight as high as you can take it and uh, uh th- that is incredibly awesome and uh i will definitely be uh posting information on you uh so that people can uh, follow what you're doing um and uh so they can uh, join your uh, crusade um how can people find out more about uh, what you're doing um, well, uh, uh, they can go to our, our website, zenaforcongress.com. Uh, that's Z-I-N-A-F-O-R, congress.com. And uh, they can join our mailing list. They can sign up to uh, volunteer or Canvas or phone bank with us. Um, I am on Twitter, uh, Z Spazakis. Uh, I am on Facebook. Um, if anyone has any particular issues or questions about our campaign, we have an email set up where I answer constituent and voter questions. It's called, it's askzena at zenaforcongress.com. Anyone can feel free to send me an email uh, there. And I, I try to get back within 24 to 48 hours, depending on how many <laughs> emails I've gotten into <laughs> my inbox that particular morning. Uh, but we are running, you know, I'm very in touch with everybody. Um, we are having meet and greets around the district. We're having town halls around the district. So, you know, our Facebook page uh, really shows the events uh, where you can come out and meet the candidate um, uh, or just meet sort of any, any progressive events that I might be uh, going to or where I'll be at. I want to I'm asking for your vote, um, but I better earn your, your vote. Anybody should earn uh, you know, well your vote. Um, and and I'm and, you know, I'm there. You may not agree with everything. I believe in, but I, but I, uh, but I will tell you uh, whether you agree with me or not, I'm going to fight for you. um, Whether, you know, whether you vote for me or not. Um, But, you know, I think people can rest assured that I will listen to them and I will take their best interests at heart because I, my only, my only motivation is, uh, is the people who would vote for me uh, or the people of our district, not any, not any special interest. So uh, for what that's worth. Well, you're a great mom, and you have great kids. I know I've worked with your kids in the uh, uh, enhancement uh, programs uh, here uh, locally. Um, so uh, in terms of character, you're a stellar character, and I have no doubt 
uh, that your motivations are exactly as you claim them to be uh, and that your fight is exactly what you're stating. So in any way that I can uh, um, basically support what you're doing, I will definitely do it. Thanks, Sergei. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. And we have a few more minutes left. Um, a lot of people, I, I find this very uh, puzzling, uh, but a lot of people are afraid or don't have confidence enough themselves to do anything that they feel uh, they, that needs to get done, or even that they really want to do. Um, what suggestions can you give to somebody who wants to accomplish something in the world, whether it's something personal relating to their dreams or whether it's something that's of import to everybody, uh, what encouragement can you give them? What suggestions can you give them? Well, you know, just drawing from my own, uh, you know, why I, I'm new to politics. Obviously I've never run for office or done anything nearly this sort of visible uh, before. Uh, you know, I think people need to find their own motivation. My motivation is my children. Um, of course, um, you know, and I think when you enter something that, uh, that is new or if you're making some big life change, there's always a certain amount of fear. Uh, but I think a lot of that, it's okay to have fear. Most people are afraid. Hell, I'm afraid all the time, but you can't let that stop you. And you need a certain amount of, uh, uh, God, how do I put this? Ir- irrational boldness. Um, it, it, to feed, to sort of feed your confidence. I'm just, you know, I get this mental image of um, um, uh, what was that movie with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? Braveheart. Um, where they were two? No, no, where they were two cops. Uh, oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. You know, that again. It was like it was in the '80s. Uh, it's going to come to me, but you know, the Mel Gibson character sort of gets out of like. Uh, really life-threatening situations by going insane and basically mm-hmm. like throwing and throwing his counterpart off 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 balance a little bit, and it gets you know it takes a certain amount of like mental discipline to be able to do something in such a like uh, in such a situation. But I think my point is that sort of like you you don't know what you're capable of until you've had to actually do it, right? Um, and you know and 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 that sort of that sort of um, you can't be you can't be shy about going after what's right. Uh, you can't be shy about speaking truth to power. You can't be shy. Of, you're, you can't, you're not going to be liked by everybody. Uh, but right. if you know you're doing the right thing and it's, it's, it, you've got integrity doing it, then I, you know, um, you know, I would say go for it. Um, I, the other, the other, the other person that comes to mind is, uh, is Gandhi. Uh, quite mm-hmm. honestly, uh, you know, he, uh, in his, in his own way, he was very, relentless in his pursuit of a free India, right? Um, Relentless and patient uh, because sometimes, you know, I think as a society, the American culture is very, I want immediate gratification, like right now, (laughs) you know, it's when it's not unlike some other cultures, but uh, you know, that, that you you need to like realize that we're like that. um, And that some things will just take more time um, than others. But you know, uh, <laughs> don't quit your day job if you have to support a big, a big family, though. <laughs> you know? right. um, in any event, um, but yeah, it's uh, just running for politics itself is not for, is not a rational choice necessarily. Yes, there's a certain amount of irrationality involved only because the work um, the work is just there's so much to do um, in in any campaign. Um, so. 
Well, thank you so very yeah. much. I enjoyed our, our conversation. I am certainly uh, very much interested in uh, uh, learning more and in spreading uh, the news that you so generously shared. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for fighting for us, and I wish you the greatest of success. Thank you, Hercules, and thank you for your service as well. This is uh, this is a really good service to get the truth out. So, thanks. Um, we're going to listen to a, a song. I never heard this one, but it's called Urania Sings, and she's one of the muses. So uh, we'll go there. Thanks again, Zina. Waits in the cold of space. She tempts astronomers from their sleep. She teaches things beyond the reach of human can and gives them answers in their dreams. Tide and time are her lovers, and her heart is a star. She calls the mind to mystery.
dark of night. She lures astronomers from their beds. Tells them things that they will never understand. Put strange questions in their heads. Never be afraid of the dark again. She's got that moonlight in her eyes. She likes to wear her startup party dress. She takes me dancing in the sky. Honey, she opens up my Another day. 